Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 322, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Pam and talk about taking a deep look at the true cash flow scenario of your rental portfolio. My husband and I, we talk a lot about, well, do we want to do the cash out or do we want to keep them paid off for increased cash flow? We do have four properties paid off right now. Um, we were toying with the idea of refinancing two or three of them to help pay off the private lender. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me as always is my sunshine on a cloudy day co-host, Scott Trench. That's me beaming, Mindy. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or analyze your portfolio and consider selling some of that real estate. We'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, today we are talking to Pam and she has a very interesting set of circumstances with regards to her investment portfolio. She has been investing over the last three years, gathering Uh, collecting real estate properties, and now it's time to analyze those and see if they are worth holding on to. That's right. Uh, Pam has a very, I I would imagine, a very common situation for for investors who have been using variations of the Burr methodology um, where they've got built up a lot of equity, but it's a little hard to cash flow in some situations. And maybe some of the properties don't cash flow um, because we haven't done, been doing enough of a rigorous analysis on that cash flow and really accounting for things that are phantom expenses that don't show up every month, but you have to plan for, like vacancy, like maintenance, like CapEx. Run those numbers all the way through on every property in your existing portfolio and any property you're considering buying and make sure that you're cash flow positive. You don't have to get a 10 or 20% cash on cash return, but you have to be positive uh, in order to sustain it in this business according with conservative assumptions over the long term. In my opinion. Yes. And you said the V word, Scott, vacancy. We didn't even talk about vacancy on this episode. Uh, Because she has really great properties that don't have any vacancies, she said that she's got people that have been there for since 2015. Um, But that is something that we uh, forgot to talk about. Uh, Vacancy should be estimated at 8%. A lot of people will say 5%. It should be estimated at 8% because 12 divided by 1 is, or 1 divided by 12 is 8. I don't know. A whole month's vacancy is 8%. And hey, if you estimate high and then you come in a little bit lower, you win. If you estimate low, then you lose. And what do you do if you don't if you can't get the numbers to work on a cash flow basis with conservative assumptions? You use less leverage or you wait. Or you or you pick your different market or different strategy with that. You you don't have to make again 10, 15, 20% cash flow each month to get into this game. There, there are appreciation and amortization benefits, but you can't cash flow negative because uh, it'll just suck money out of your life and make things miserable in the downturns, the, the handful of downturns we're gonna we are going to experience over the next 50 years. When it comes to financial guidance, you gotta trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turned to Nerd Wallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. 
Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Real estate investing is great. But for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split, with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets. You just said the G word, Scott. You said this game to get into this game. Real estate investing is not a game. It is a business. And if you treat it as a game, you will lose every single time. But you're not the only person who calls it a game. Everybody calls it a game. And it's a huge pet peeve. I call it a game. I just am so competitive. I take my games very seriously, Mindy. Okay. You, okay. That, you know what? I will give you that. But everybody else does not get a pass on this. You cannot call it a game. It's a business and you have to treat it as such. All right. Now, before we get into Pam, the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither Scott nor I, nor Bigger Pockets, is engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Pam is a real estate investor who has been focused on increasing her real estate holdings the past three years. She and her husband have a great income and have been reinvesting their cash flow back into their real estate portfolio, along with using a hard money lender to fund more purchases, but now they're at a crossroads. Continue with the Burr strategy in single-family homes or pivot to multifamily. Pam, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Well, welcome. This is going to be so much fun because we're going to talk about our favorite topic, money and real estate. So let's jump right in. What do you make? Where does it go? And then let's talk real estate. Okay. Um... Well, I have a couple of businesses. Um, I used to teach riding lessons, so I still have a little bit of that going on. So it brings in um, a little money, play money every month. Um, I have a bookkeeping business that brings in 
net about eighteen, nineteen hundred a month. Um, my husband and I work for a property management company. He does the maintenance. He's maintenance director. Uh, I'm the CFO, so I do a lot of numbers. Um, so together, we and both. Let's see. He's a ten ninety nine pay, um, and then with my net, that totals roughly twelve thousand a month. Um, the average of the rental income as it stands now is about seventy five hundred a month. Um, that increased. We just signed a lease, so maybe eighty five hundred a month. Um, and then just sales. If we've decided to sell one over some time, um, I just averaged that out to be about forty eight hundred a month. Oh, you're saying when you redeploy the the proceeds, you might be able to generate an additional forty five hundred. Well, I, maybe I didn't explain that well enough. Um, okay, so for the house sale that was initially supposed to be a rental, um, but five months later it not being rented, the best strategy with the way the prices were, we decided to sell. So we made some money there, and I just averaged that out um, to be about 4800 a month. Oh, okay. What's the lump amount of that sale proceeds? Is that sitting in your bank account? Some of it is. We paid off. We paid a big chunk to our private lender, about fifty thousand. We walked away with one hundred and eight. Okay. We bought another house. I'm sorry. We bought a rental. Um, turnkey had a tenant. Uh, that was thirty three thousand. Paid our private lender fifty, and then we had the we paid a credit card off the business credit card. It was maybe ten thousand, um, and then we still have twenty left of it, which we are planning to purchase another property that will be a little bit a pretty big renovation project to be a rental. So, so if if I were to summarize your monthly income, excluding this sale, I could say that your 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 wage income, the dollars you're earning, is twelve thousand dollars a month. Your bookkeeping business is bringing in $2,000 a month, and your rental business is bringing in $8,500 per month once you get that next place uh, um, up with, with the new tenant. And that's a net cash flow. That's not gross rent. That's in the cash flow you're able to spend on an average basis from the, from the rental property portfolio. I believe so, yes. Okay, that's awesome. That's $22,000, per month pre-tax. That's phenomenal. So big incomes. Yes, but I feel like we're paycheck to paycheck. Well, that's um, why we're here. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> I just want to point out before we go any further, if you're spending every dime that comes in, you are paycheck to paycheck. It doesn't matter how much of that is coming in. So let's look at where that's going and see. I saw something. So we do get your numbers ahead of time. And I did see something that I'd like to maybe reframe as we are, Okay. Uh, as we're we're going through your numbers. So let's look at your numbers the way that you've shared them and see if they still are how I f I'm thinking about it. So what do, what do your expenses look like? Um, so I separated it category like personal and business because that's where it gets a little um, confusing. We usually always have some sort of remodel going on, which is where a big chunk of all that money goes. Um, and like I said, we just recently finished one remodel um, we have a signed lease. We did receive our first paycheck, you know, rent check from them. That is through a management company. Um, so I feel like the business 
um, miscellaneous category that I have will will trim down quite a bit. Um, so for personal side, um, our mortgage for our primary home is fourteen hundred, and that's taxes, insurance. Um, our insurance bills every month are fourteen seventy five, and that's big one is health insurance because the I'm a W two, um, but they don't have medical. So my husband is the ten ninety nine side, so he doesn't have medical. So that's about a thousand, and the rest is life insurance, which is we have a term policies, um, and. That's in car. Awesome. Travel's a big one for us. I just averaged that out for the year, and that was about 800 a month, uh, mainly because we have properties in out of state, so we do go a few times a year. Um, my general category needs to slim down. Um, general merchandise and clothing, 866. Yes, it does include some Amazon. <laughs> Um, also, you know, like trips to, I don't know if we have to go get a card or just general items needed for the house. Um, there's just, that's my big lump category. Um, we do have a boat, um, that we own and part of that boat money is, where we house it at the marina, it's called the Docaminium. I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but it's like a condo for the boat. So that monthly payment is in there. That includes dues. It includes um, property tax. Um, our payment to the Docaminium, we bought that on land contract. That ends in September. Um, so that's roughly about seven fifty dollars a month uh, for a year. It also includes like other maintenance with it. It's basically our cottage. How much? So uh, we we were trying to, to tally this up, but we're we're um, how how much is this coming out to per month? Ninety five hundred. Ninety five hundred per month. Okay, uh, and you're bringing in twenty two thousand per month. Um, so while there's a lot there, and there are things to cut, um, you should be not living paycheck to paycheck based on that spending uh, and your income, which is what we're going to investigate um, today. So with that, so you should be able to accumulate a lot of those things, and many of the things you said there are. Perfect. Like this is not a oh cut your boat um, thing. You you know with with that uh, you you earn enough income to pay for some of these luxuries um, with that because uh, you guys are doing so well. Um, let's go through your uh, in, your net worth and balance sheet here, and let's start with cash. How much cash do you guys have? Personal cash twelve thousand, and I know we have about eighteen to twenty in the business account in the real estate account. And then what's the biggest, is the biggest portion of your net worth, the real estate? Yes. Let's walk through that. What does that look like? We have nine rental properties, um, valuing 1.5 in today's equity. I have three, we have three in Scottsdale, two condos and a house that are Airbnbs. Um, and then we have properties in Flint, Michigan that we use for long-term rentals. And those are six six properties there. Yeah, um, and counting, <laughs> we 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 are under contract for um, 
another one and just signed another contract today for a, a quick wholesale flip. So it looks like we've got about a hundred and seventy-five hundred and about two hundred thousand dollars in retirement accounts, and then maybe another five to ten thousand in after-tax brokerage accounts. There, does that okay. sound about right? Yeah, we use um, I use personal capital, so I have everything in there. And yes, that that sounds right. Before we get into what's the best way we can help you today, I'd love to hear a quick story about how you got into this position. Can we do a quick background on on your journey with money? We grew up. Not poor, but lower middle class, and and my dad was dealing with layoffs. I worked for the big three, um, so there were times where we had to pinch quite a bit. Um, and then fast forward, college. Uh, I went to college, student loans, that kind of thing. Got married quickly after school, um, and then that didn't end very well. Um, I did have a 401k at that time that I lost uh, after the marriage. So I was starting over basically at 28. Um, I did have my horse training business, um, which paid for my lifestyle, but I wasn't able to put anything away. Um, Then my husband and I met and he has a very similar uh, money background as I. So we got along great. Um, And uh, we decided we'd be a great team to do some real estate because he was a builder. So we loved all those shows <laughs> that came out in 2005 and six. Um, so we thought flipping was it. This was great. Um, then the market crashed. So uh, we kind of lost that. Um, got some very bad advice from our real estate agent that said, just let them go back to the bank like everybody else because I can't sell them, um, had no clue about renting, no clue, no clue that there was even property managers that could handle everything for you. Um, so that kind of was a harsh learning lesson. Um, we had to file bankruptcy in 2011, but it's kind of been the best thing that's happened. We've learned from that. We lived with cash for forever gosh probably until 2018 so we went seven years just if we didn't have the cash we didn't buy it we had no credit we had no loans we had nothing um we did start building from there with a prepaid credit card we each had a 300 hundred dollar prepaid credit card and we lived off of that <laughs> and surprisingly um but he had done some car sales at that time. Um, all his remodeling kind of was going under uh, with the economy the way it was during that time. Um, and then fast forward 2018, we decided, um, actually, let me back up. When we were going through that bankruptcy, we couldn't get, like we lost all of our properties with our primary home. Um, I had a condo that went back to the bank. Um, and we have this private lender who my husband had done some business with before, and he was our saving grace. Um, we were able to buy a home with him on land contract, so he paid cash for it. Um, so we found a nice home and fixed it up, that kind of thing. We stayed there for three and a half years, sold in 2013, had a nice lump sum walked away with some money. So like our first live and flip, I suppose. Um, 
And then we found this great property, 2014, 2015. Also, our plan was a live-in flip because we did well with that other one. We had a five-year plan for that house. Uh, and we stuck to it pretty well. Um, we used that chunk from the first house, did the remodel, lived there for six years, sold that in 2020. Um, and then um, 2018, 19 was when we started buying real estate. So we learned, I learned about a thing called cash out refi. Had no idea what that even was. I had no idea if we could even qualify for a mortgage. And they qualified us, and we walked away with a check of 230 some thousand dollars. We're like, I can't believe that just happened. <laughs> so we paid our, our private lender off, and we had money left over to buy our first rental. And we bought a turnkey rental. Uh, it was the wonderful first property. Um, and that's, you know, that's how we got going. Our private lender said, why did you pay me off? Do you want more money? So we borrowed more money and did it again. We bought, we bought some more turnkey rentals and um, that's where we ended up here. Awesome. And, and has most of that, most of the rentals been financed with cash out refinances or have you been accumulating cash in a substantial way over the last three, four, five years as well from your saving and uh, incomes and job? I would say yes to both of that. Um, <laughs> yes to both of that. We did get a line of credit on those three properties um, because like on paper, we looked like we owned them all. Um, and we bought some more properties, paid him off again. Um, so a bit of the Burr strategy. Um, okay. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost. 
so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. I don't know that it a lot came from our income, honestly. I think a lot of it was just the moving of the properties. Well, great. Let's well, let, let's unpack this. And I think that we have, um, so that background was really helpful. I think we'll have some clues in that background as to um, opportunity areas that we can, that we can begin attacking. Um, my belief is that your situation that you articulated to us is one where you've got a really strong income, you're building, you have all these rental properties, um, you're living paycheck to paycheck, and you can't figure out why cash is leaking out of the system instead of depositing into the system on a regular basis. And I think I've got some hunches about why that may, may be happening. So, um, and let me start with the real estate portfolio. Let's talk about um, the types of properties you own. Are these properties in good condition when you buy them? Most of them, no, which is why I think we're, we were had been leaking so much money um, into the renovations. Um, for instance, the one we just finished, we paid forty. We put, I think we only put maybe fifteen or twenty into it. If not, I don't even think that much, thirteen to fifteen. Um, and we're in the process of refinancing that right now, and it appraised for a hundred and one. And what 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 would um what would a hundred and one thousand dollar property rent for in that area? This is Flint, Michigan, right? Yes, um, a thousand. We got we're we just signed the lease near Detroit. It's an hour uh, twenty north. So you're getting a close to one percent rule property here. Um, how do you think about expenses on that property? What 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 are you what are you paying? On a monthly basis. So before the refinance, all of my Flint properties are usually about two eighty five a month. That's insurance and tax and utilities because I got to pay the water and electrical. Maybe at the most in the summer three fifty. Actually, the winter because that's with the heat. So two hundred eighty five to three hundred fifty. Do you have a mortgage on these properties? When we do the cash out, yes, and that payment will be six twelve, and that includes everything. Okay, great, and that includes everything that principal, interest, taxes, insurance. Correct. And then utilities and water come on top of that. What are utilities and water? Well, that will be covered by the tenant. We'll pay that. Um, okay. But previously, uh, winter is usually the most expensive at one hundred and thirty a month. And most of these properties don't have a lot of insulation, so they leak. Uh, hot air. Um, so you pay for that. Um, the water we generally don't even use, but there's a service fee. So our bill is always $57 a month. Uh, any other expenses that go along with that property? Six, 612 in pity. Insurance goes to the tenant and then the $57 per month for water. I'm sorry, utilities go to the tenant. Um, and then the, the water is $57 per month. So my expenses are, will just be the mortgage pity, 612. Great. And then what is you, what do you pay your property manager? 10%. 10%. So we have 100 bucks a month for the property manager. And what's the placement fee on that? A half a month rent. Okay. So you're going to place 500 bucks. I'm pretty sure. And that's going to be every two years. Actually, what's interesting about this area, it's so popular for rent that nobody moves. We have tenants that have been in those turnkey houses we bought. They've lived there since 2015, 2016. So 
knock on wood, we haven't had, had a turnover yet, um, which is pretty amazing. Um, so that hats off to our property managers for finding great tenants as well. Um, cause I think that has a lot to do with it. Okay, great. What do you budget for maintenance expenses? Well, I have a live in maintenance guy, so <laughs> that's my husband. <laughs> so it's just time really, um, maybe materials. Okay. Let, let's, um, I would, I would recommend you put 5% away for maintenance at, at the minimum, maybe 10%. Go ahead, Mindy. I was just going to say, with a move planned in the next year or so, you're going to need to have maintenance scheduled or, or uh, accounted for. And also, um, I would start uh, looking for maintenance people now so you can have them working on your properties in conjunction with your husband so you can test them out because uh, things will break. Things will break more frequently when your husband isn't there to fix them, it will seem. And you'll be like, why is this so expensive all the time? Um, because on paper, $1,000 in rent and 612 in mortgage payment is almost $400 in my pocket, but it's not. It's, it is now you're $100 for the property manager. Okay, now it's $300 in my pocket. Well, now you've got $100 for maintenance. Now it's $200 in my pocket. And you've got, uh, these were rehabbed, right? These were turnkey. What is the state of the roof, the the big systems? The like, if everything's brand new, you need a whole lot less in capex. But if the roof was fifteen years old when you bought it, um, you're going to have to budget for a roof a lot faster. Yeah. So correct. So that that's a that's a good thought exercise here. So we have maintenance, which is costing you something. It's not nothing because you have materials that you have to pay for, but you will have to budget for the maintenance person when you move. And then the other part of this is CapEx. And that's, this is what's going to kill your cash flow when we go, when I tell you this, this is not going to be good news. Um, with, with this, uh, on a property in, in Denver, Colorado, I would not estimate less than about $250 per month per month is a CapEx allocation because every year I'm going to have some problem with one of my units across my portfolio. And that problem is not going to be three grand. It's going to be five to 10 grand, right? When I got to turn a unit because the tenants trashed it, it's 10 grand to, to get the, to fix the, the floors and the walls or whatever with that. And that's going to happen every, in your case, let's call it every five years um, because you have a long tenant, but you're still gonna have to plan for the 10 grand each unit every five years, you know, at the minimum, which will come out to $250 a month. And that I believe is what's killing your cash flow. Um, here and why why your business is not actually spitting out cash into your bank account on a regular basis in the way that you're anticipating with it. Um, do you have a reserve for that? Do you account do you account for that that capex piece in the cash flow? I I do have a reserve as far as we we do have a line of credit that has forty five thousand available if we need to tap into that. Um, I do have my private lender, uh, and we do have some cash, um, but I do feel like I need a whole bunch more sitting aside for that kind of stuff. I agree with that, and we'll come back to the cash position in a second. But right now, I'm I'm, I'm trying to, to point out the cash flow on this unit. So let's go through the numbers that we just put in place, right? We have $1,000 in rent. We have $612 in your principal interest taxes and insurance. So now you have $388 in cash flow per month, right? $100 of that is going to the property manager. So now you have $288 per month. 
And I would bet that between CapEx and maintenance, you should be budgeting $300 per month because I don't think you can get away with less than that over the long term. So right now, your cash flow is not positive on this property um, on, a, on an average basis over a three to five year period. You're going to have many months where it will be positive and will deposit money in your bank account, but you also have those, those big turns um, where $5,000 is going into that property and that wipes out all of that. Uh, um, overall. And so that's, that's the major problem here. And I would estimate that this, the same situation could be going on in other of your properties. Um, with that, do you think that, is that a fair, do you think that, that that's a, what, what do you, what's your reaction to that? Well, and that's, a, that's a very good observation because my husband and I, we talk a lot about, well, do we want to do the cash out or do we want to keep them paid off for increased cash flow. We do have four properties paid off right now. Um, we were toying with the idea of refinancing two or three of them to help pay off the private lender. Um, so I it, that comes into play, I would think, based on the cash flow on the other properties. So do I start analyze do i just start analyzing each one like this and or do we do it as a whole i would analyze each one like this and i would go a little bit further and say because the numbers that you shared with us were personal and business altogether i'm wondering if your personal income of $12,000 a month is subsidizing your rental properties and oh, that is sometimes <laughs> also making you feel like yes. you're living paycheck to paycheck because yes. $12,000 a month in a relatively low cost of area living should be i don't want to say knocking it out of the park but it should be really really comfortable and I, I think that each individual property should be, I don't want to argue with Scott and totally derail this conversation, but I would challenge you to figure out CapEx for each one of your properties. What is 123 Main Street's roof age and systems age and appliances and see, oh, okay, a roof is $15,000 and I have 10 years left on this roof. So 10 times 12 months is 120 months. And fifteen thousand divided by one hundred twenty is one hundred twenty-five bucks a month. Yeah, so you need to save one hundred twenty-five dollars a month for the roof. If the furnace is about to go out, that's five thousand dollars. Let's say you have a year left on that. Now you have five thousand divided by twelve. You need to save four hundred and sixteen dollars a month to replace the uh, furnace. And I don't know if you can get a five thousand dollar furnace because do you have to have AC where you're at? I'm not sure. I mean, you need it. Are you required? The furnace, we, most of our houses, they're in really good shape. Okay. Um, we do have a few that need a roof maybe in five years, like you're saying. Um, several, we put in AC units. Those were 1,600 new. Um, so those are good for a while uh, as part of our remodels. Um, also, most of the furnaces are in great shape. But there are several properties that we need to start thinking about that in the future. Um, but we can get a new furnace in them for, they're not giant houses, so maybe 2000 okay. 2400 um, is what I would start thinking about. I think it's a good thought exercise to see, Okay, I have nine rentals, 
Six of them are awesome and three of them aren't. Dump those three or think about dumping those three and looking at different properties that would be better for your bottom line. Somebody, There is an investor out there who will think that those three are amazing properties. Yes. Yeah, so that's funny you mentioned that because there's one condo in in Arizona that we use. It could really use a remodel to to really be attractive but i mean it's a little workhorse but i i feel like it is negative cash flow and with the values where they are in scottsdale i was thinking about maybe listing that one we do have um some of our private lender money wrapped into that one at 10 percent interest only so it's very hefty, which is why we were toying with refinancing some of our paid off rentals in Flint to pay him down because of the interest rate. So let's I think I think that what, what the homework assignment Mindy and I would have for you is to one, analyze each of your properties for cash flow right now. Pretend you're buying it and go through the exercise. And and when we go through that exercise, make an estimation for vacancy. I would recommend you estimate five to 10% vacancy or five, five to 7% if you think your market's really good, because that's one month of vacancy per year um, with that. And I think that that's, that's a good conservative estimate. I would put in a thousand dollars a year at minimum for the home maintenance. These are not CapEx. This is like problems you're fixing, ant infestation, um, AC broke, fridge, ice machine broke, and the whatever with that, right? You're going to have to send somebody there once a year per unit, maybe once or twice a year to fix things up. And then I would do the CapEx exercise that Mindy just suggested. Think about all the things you might have to replace in the property and back into them. Um, it will probably come out to well over $100, $200 per month on the property um, for that. And and that will that will inform you. So when you get, a, when you get that, and let's just use those numbers, you know, we've got $1,000 in rent. We've got six hundred and twelve dollars in principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. I think you're going to be underwater from a negative cash flow perspective on at least this property and maybe some other ones. And that's a really good thing to think about. Okay, I want to own the property free and clear, um, and not have a debt on it, and then all that, that will improve my cash flow. That's one way to, to resolve that. Or I can sell it and try to redeploy into a property that will cash flow. Um, on a standalone basis. But I think this is a root cause of why you're feeling like cash is never filling up the coffers um, uh, on a monthly basis. And this property, um, you know, during the the refinance, which was recent, I got hit with the interest rate going up. Um, what I was usually getting these cash outs for five and a half to six percent, they were tolerable for business uh, loans. Now that one was seven. In my mind, it's still cheaper than the ten I'm paying. So it was, you know, worth paying him a chunk. Um, but we haven't closed on that yet. So, um, but that is in underwriting. Yeah. Well. Well, it sounds like you have some the, the i mean the financing situation is is also a concern so how much do you have in total outstanding debt across your portfolio to the private money lender 200 200,000 at uh, at 10% interest you're going to pay $20,000 in interest per year on that correct yes our payment to him is 1600 right now great and how much you said the asset value is 1.6 million yeah of those yes of those nine um 
yes, 1.5, then some change. How, how do you how do you feel about that valuation? Are you being spot on? Are you a little conservative? Are you a little aggressive? A little conservative because I, I try to be conservative when it comes to that. Um, but I don't want to be over leveraged. I think the last I looked, that puts us at about 50% equity based on the liabilities that we have. Okay. And your total, so that, you, that you have 200,000 in private private in this private loan and then you have how much in mortgages against those properties 690 okay so you've got nine hundred thousand dollars in debt eight hundred ninety thousand dollars in debt and 1.5 million portfolios so you have 600 yeah that's not 50 percent <laughs> well it's a little over 50 percent but but it's it's in that you, you have hundreds of thousands of dollars in equity here, yeah about six hundred thousand okay um so here, so when you said that your business is is generating eighty five hundred dollars per month, how did how did you derive that number? I took my, um, I think it's in my income statement, and I I did um, divided that out per month. So for the year, like for twenty twenty one, gross rents were seventy seven thousand. Okay, so you divided that by twelve. Yeah, and then I was thinking more about, um, I think with that number I originally gave you on the spreadsheet was the rents coming in, like our net coming in from property management. Okay, so you, so you have you have a, a certain amount of rent coming in each, each month, and then your property manager is taking a chunk, 10% out of that, and then distributing the balance to you on a monthly basis, and that's what you're calling the 8500 a month. Yes, yes, that's after property management, correct. Okay, great. So he, here's here's the, the the issue with that. You're not generating $20,000 a month in in profit. You're generating $12,000 a month from your jobs and then you're generating perhaps even a negative balance on these rental properties because we talked about how, you know, th- those 600 that's $690,000 in debt that you have will easily be costing you 4 to $5,000 per month in the principal interest taxes and insurance payments. And then you also have $1,600 on top of that going to the private lender. So that leaves you with 6,000 or so in total expenses. And then you have $2,500 to cover the maintenance and CapEx and vacancy expenses on your nine port property portfolio. So I, I think that the my hunch here is that this portfolio is costing you money on a monthly basis, not building, not not putting money into your pocket on a monthly basis. That's what I'm feeling. Yep. So, so what do we do about that? Right? Well, the, the, what we do, the first thing is go, go through the exercise that Mindy just described and get the CapEx allocation on each one of these properties. Then we will give you a free pro membership for the bigger pockets for bigger pockets. Use the calculator. Um, th- you can keep using your own spreadsheet or whatever, but use our calculator and run the numbers on each one of those properties using with those capex assumptions and determine which ones are going to be cash flow positive and which ones are killing you because i bet you you have two or three that are killing you and a handful that are cash flow positive so i can do that um in my accounting software per property okay but i can run a PL on each one and then just add that capex um so I could do that as my exercise. I'd also encourage you to do it in the calculator because the calculator will be forward looking. It'll allow you to make assumptions okay. about that. And you can ask people about, but you could do, do it in both. 
but it'll be, it'll be easy there. And I think that will help you say, I right, forget about what the numbers are telling me. Experienced investors say, this is what it should be okay. <laughs> on a go gotcha. forward basis. Right. Okay. And that, that will allow you to then take a, okay, I know I, that's, what I'm probably going to average. Is that jiving with the reality that I'm getting in my accounting software downstream here with that over time? I think that w- that will be helpful. And that will give you a sell refinance or hold um, decision on each of your properties. And I bet you, you will sell several of them with that. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of our own capital into the Arizona properties, um, based on selling some, we had a few flips, sold a rental and then deployed that into the Arizona properties. Um, so I liked the idea of maybe selling the one condo, getting that money back um, and paying down that lender to get rid of that large payment. Because really, they only performed really well in February and March. The rest, I thought, was break-even, but I don't think they were break-even when we add the portion that we pay our private lender. And their short-term rentals. We were underwater. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I ain't going to Scottsdale in July. (laughs) Exactly. Those three very <laughs> slow months. <laughs> so another thing that I would challenge you to do is to completely separate your personal finances and your business finances. So your W two income, your husband's ten ninety nine income, and all of the personal finance, all the personal expenses, come out of your one bank account, and then all the business loans, the business expenses, the business everything run those completely separate and see you do. Okay. That when, and, and, you know, I'm just getting the numbers that you shared and it's like all at once, but it, like Scott said, I really think that these properties aren't doing you many favors and we're still in a position with the, with the real estate market that you could sell them to someone else and, find a different property. If you purchase them as a rental, you could use a 1031 exchange to find a better property. You had talked about uh, continuing on with single families or transitioning into multifamilies. Maybe there's a really awesome multifamily out there waiting for you to buy it that will cash flow, that will be closer to where you want to live, that will be, even with all of the numbers, work for you in a much better capacity. But I'm wondering, and you don't have to sell all of your properties. If you've got one or two that are amazing or you know six that are amazing, keep the ones that really work well. But if they don't work, get rid of them. You don't have to keep a property just because you own it. Right. And I think the other flip side um, to that, we have a little internal debate, uh, my husband and I, he thinks, well, even if they're not really making much money, the mortgage is getting paid down and it's our retirement plan, you know? Um, so is there truth to that? Yeah, it's a true statement, but it's, that's not a good way to live your life, in my opinion, over the next five to 10 years, because this, this portfolio is going to be sucking money out of your life. And if you have a problem from a market perspective, you're going to be sucking even more money out of your life on an ongoing basis. Like the way I would, I would totally reframe the approach and say, guys, we're doing great. We're making $12,000 a year, uh, a month, uh, <laughs> um, you know, from our, from our jobs here, we've got a couple of side hustles. We've got some properties, we've got some assets. We can play this game, right? Let's sell off all the properties that are sucking cash out of our life. Um, and say, 
period. The property must, with conservative assumptions, put cash into our pockets on a monthly basis. Um, we're not going to lever up past the point that allows for that. We're not going to take more debt against that property uh, um, if it doesn't at least conservatively put a few dollars in our month, um, our, our, our pockets every month on an ongoing basis. Let's sell off a couple of these properties, pay off this private money lender, which is killing us. This is a great deal for your private money lender. He's loving life um, right now. He's getting he has 1600 bucks in passive income. You don't. Um, right. <laughs> that. So let's pay let's pay him off um, with, with this. Let's uh, let's build a cash reserve. You don't have enough cash in my opinion uh, to capitalize your personal situation or your business in a comfortable way. You're going to be very stressed month to month because you're spending 9500 a month, but you only have $12,000 in personal cash and your business is spending more at 8500 a month and you only have 2 months of reserve there with 18,000, two and a half months. So, I would I would pile those up and I'd say I want to have 3 to 6 in your case probably 6 months of expenses because you have so much going on uh, in cash. That's an absurd amount of money right now. That'll be um that'll be like uh, $120,000. So now how do we fix that problem? We got to cut expenses. One way you cut expenses is by unloading a couple of your cash flow negative properties. So that will reduce that, that, that the amount required to get to six months reserve substantially. The other way is to go into the personal life and groom the, the personal budget. So earlier I was saying, you guys make good money. No need to cut these things. Well, I think we've, we said you're making good money, but you're not making $22,000 a month. You're making closer to $12,000 per month. Um, because the portfolio is not actually putting that cash flow into your pocket. So let's let's accept that reality and say, what's a reasonable spending amount on a $12,000 per month? Um, uh, is that pre-tax or post-tax for $12,000? So my salary is post-tax, but my husband's is pre-tax. Okay. How much do you think you're bringing in after tax between the two of you per month? Well, I'm not, we have, we changed to a really great accountant that got us a nice tax return, uh, maybe because we've been moving properties around. So it's hard to say on on his income um, what to budget for tax um, because he could also qualify as the real estate professional. Yeah, you have real losses that are going into the rental property business. That's why you probably had a great tax return. Okay. So think about, just be careful uh, around planning around that um, because you're you're probably putting a lot of cash into the properties, and your accountant's able to either uh, immediately depreciate all of that for some of those repairs, or he's able to do that. And your income, your AGI based on that will probably be below 150. Um, so you were able to reduce. You're probably able to claim that all as losses against your ordinary incomes. Don't count on that. You count on getting rich, um, <laughs> and say what's my after tax income without the with, in that situation real estate separate, and then I'll take those benefits downstream. Okay, Pam, you just said that he qualified as a real estate professional. Yes, I. But then he also has a 1099. Well, but in the real estate world, yeah, which is what. I think they told me <laughs> that he was able to do. I only know enough to be dangerous, but in general, if you have a full-time job, you're not going to qualify to be a real estate professional. Now you said it's in the real estate world, but is he working basically for himself as yes, a 1099? Is. is that how that works? Yes. Or, yep. okay, I'm just, whew, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to check in with one of my, uh, real estate focused CPA friends and just double check that this sounds cool because the the real estate professional designation is awesome, but it's so hard to qualify for. So I and that is one of the things that flags your um, tax return 
is when you qualify for that, um, you could. But let's assume. Let's assume that 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 he is. I think Mindy's wise. Yes, I want to assume that he yeah, is. Mindy's wise to put a caution and go in there and get a second opinion. That that'd be probably wise to make sure that you're not not doing that. But it sounds like your husband is doing a lot of work on the properties and and doing some of these things. So um, you may be you may be you may be fine with that. Um, but the reason you're getting a huge tax break is because you are generating real losses that you are having to fund from your cash flow from your jobs, right? And so that's not good strategy. That's good. Like the accounting, accountant should absolutely do that. The accountant did, did their job, it sounds like. I mean, that because not only are you losing money on your PL, you're also getting benefits from depreciation on these properties um, that, are, that are offsetting that. And because you're uh, husband's a real estate professional. That's helping you net all of that, even if you were above the the AGI threshold um, against Disney. And he had we had several sales last year, um, and I think that's on the income statement. The where that was the gain, the gain on sales was one hundred fifty four thousand for twenty one. Um, but again, yeah, it's offsetting the negative cash flow that you see. <laughs> so let's let's do some let's do some takeaways here and then go see if there's any other issues you want it you want us to help with. So first the take first takeaway is you guys are generating $12,000 a month give or take post tax. You're spending $9,500 per month. Um and, and it, you have to ask yourself, is that an acceptable savings rate? It could be. That's not That's not bad. You're saving, you, you could be saving more than 10% of your income, excluding your real estate or other activities with that, um, with the spending you share with us. And that could be fine. Um, if you want to save more, you know, and, and kind of approach that 50% savings rate, you might need to groom the budget on your personal expense side. And there are items there that appear like they could be cut if you wanted to make some some changes. So you can afford many of the things you want in there, but you can't afford all of the things in the, that you have in that list if you want to save a huge chunk of your income each month. Your real estate business is not generating $8,500 a month in cash flow. It's probably sucking money out on a net-net basis. And we can detect that by just doing very simple math with the pity on a um, $690,000 mortgage. If we just did one, if we assume that it was one big mortgage and you did pity on it, it'd probably be like a 4,000-ish plus per month uh, mortgage on that, even at a 3 or 4% rate. And then you have the 1,600 on the debt on top of that plus. That's pretty good because I think it was 4,600 actually <laughs> with all the mortgage payments. Yeah, I'm a nerd. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so 4,600 4, plus 1,600 would be, would be 6,200. That leaves you with 22,000 before you even get to any other expenses. And you know, you have a ton to unpack there and that. And so that's your big, that that's the big problem there is go unpack that property by property, CapEx by CapEx. It could be most of your properties are sell situations at this point in time. And if so, that's great. You guys just won. You bought a bunch of properties the last couple of years. Market appreciated a ton. You, you're gonna you can cash out on those properties. It's probably not your the plan that uh, you and your husband were like initially coming in with. But guess what? Take your six hundred thousand dollars in winnings and use that to be the seed for the foundation, the financial foundation that will help you move towards your your real long term goals. So let's let's assume that you were able to cash out three hundred grand. Um, from that, I'm making this up. I would take that 300 grand and I'd use a chunk of it to fortify your financial position and get to a six month cash reserve uh, on that. Maybe that's 50 to 100 grand. You'll feel way better if you just have that sitting in the bank 
ready to be used for your personal life and those types of th- th- those types of things. And now you'll also have a business that is hopefully cash flowing positive on an average monthly basis. Now we got to figure out what to do with the other two hundred thousand dollars plus the twenty five to fifty thousand dollars per year that you're generating from cash flow from your your jobs and your business. That's the question um, that I think we'll have to leave dangling. Well, not dangling here or come back to maybe another time because I think we're, we're running up on, on time here today. How, how does that feel? I, I rambled for a while there. Uh, you're so, yeah, that's, we've tried, um, a couple of local lenders and they say we don't cash flow. And I'm like, I don't understand why we have, <laughs> they're, they're seeing something I'm not seeing and they don't explain it at all. So, um, hence why I filled out my application. <laughs> I would also go back to the personal spending. Um, I have been publicly tracking my spending and I track it very granularly because I want to know all these different categories. I have basically um, necessary categories and frivolous categories. And some people say that travel is necessary and some people say that travel is frivolous and Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I don't think travel uh, appears at all. But you do have $800 a month in travel expenses. Those are business expenses if you're visiting your properties. So, uh, of course, I'm not a CPA. Talk to your CPA to make sure that you can write them off and that you are um, planning them properly so that they are write-offs. But you have uh, general as at 866, I would challenge you to go in and see what exactly are you throwing in that general category. The last thing I want to bring up is the boat that we didn't talk about. I used to live on a lake. I had a boat in my backyard and we never used it. The two happiest days in a boat owner's life are the day they buy and the day they sell. And I don't have any judgment if you want to keep your boat because you use it all the time. But keep track of how frequently you use your boat. And at $750 a month, could you go and rent it like on a weekend if you're just doing it like once a week or like once a month, could you rent it for less than that and not have your very own boat? Well, the plan with the Ultimate 5 plan um, was that we will be living on the boat back in Michigan in the summers. Oh, how big and is it? Airs. It's It's got two berths, they call them, like bedrooms. Um, <gasps> so it's like 35 foot. Okay. It's a cabin it's cruiser. A big- it's our mobile cottage. Yeah. Okay. And with the Dockaminium, um, that's the summer home. The ultimate goal. And then Arizona for eight or nine months. Okay, so then that is a, a conscious expense. Great. Perfect. It will go down as of September by 500 bucks. So then it'll be 250 a month. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know about the boat specifically with that, but I agree with everything Mindy just said there. I think that fundamentals, um, I, I, I think that this, you know, the, the reality of your situation is you need to do go back to fundamental analysis on each one of those rental properties and then your personal PL, which is even more important. It actually generates way more you can generate way more cash flow from your personal PL than you can from your rental property portfolio right now. So that's that's the cash flow situation. And when you're sitting on fifty thousand dollars, if if in a few months you're sitting on fifty to sixty fifty to hundred thousand dollars in cash in your bank account, and you're like, I'm confident that I'm generating four to five thousand dollars a month in free cash flow. I guarantee you things will be 
much better from an uh, overall perspective. You'll be like, okay, I have a path to doing this. I don't have to get to Phi tomorrow uh, and live on the boat, but like if this will automatically happen and life is <laughs> life is good. Um, but but that will be a, there will be a lot of analytical homework that I think you should do this week because the market is turning right now, right? Like some properties are going going up and down. Do it now. Figure out those properties. This isn't this is not going to be a fun 40-hour week for you. Do, put your 80 hours or 100 hours in and get this done and then make make some plans. Get your um, husband on the same page with that and say, we're not going to hold cash flow negative assets. That is not a good plan. You're, you, you know, that's a good plan if you can hold on for 30 years, but who knows what, what thir- what's going to happen in 30 years. You know you can hold on to a cash flow positive asset for 30 years. Right. And I think one big thing that you pointed out, um, we weren't considering the CapEx in the future because what if – we do reach our FI, but then five years in, we have thousands of dollars worth of expenses on these houses. So I, I that was a good eye opener. As a real estate investor, your business is your properties, your, you know, the, the debts, the assets and liabilities in that portfolio, the cash flow they're producing and your reserve, right? The cash is the asset that is negatively correlated with real estate, right? When real estate prices are plunging, the value of your cash is going up um, in that case. So you, you got to capitalize uh, the business conservatively. And, I, and I, I think a good rule of thumb, everyone disagrees um, with this. So, go, you know, you, you go in the forums and you'll get 50 different people saying 50 different things. But my rule of thumb would be fifteen to $20,000 for that first property in reserve and adding on a buffer of five to 10000 for each additional property that sits in that business bank account. That's comfortable capitalization for a rental property portfolio. Go on bigger pockets right now and ask, where can I find a HELOC on my rental properties? Nobody can find one. Because the market is not is not there, so all these people who are like, "Oh, I'm going to find, I'm going to capitalize my my port, my investment portfolio with a rental property HELOC," nobody can find one. I, I if anyone has a lender that can do a HELOC on an investment portfolio, please send it to me at Scott at BiggerPockets.com. We're going to make them rich um, because we don't we don't no one can find a solution. So Try let, let, too. <laughs> yeah. So so you need the cash because it's when the market is like that was all dry up when the market is not um, when interest rates are rising with this. So. That, that would be, and, and that's just part of your plan. So your five plan is I've got $100,000 in cash across my 15 units. And then they produce as much cash flow and I take the cash out whenever it gets above 100 grand. And that's how I'm cash flowing my life. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, Pam, this was a lot of fun. I think this is going to be helpful for a lot of people. I think there's multiple people in a similar position where they think that their property is a rock star property and yet they can't really figure out why it's not not quite as rock starry in real life and you know it's i think you're in a great position to sell and 1031 i want to give you some words of caution get a qualified intermediary ahead of time do not close on the first property until you have found the second property it's still a hot property it's still a hot market but you know really make intelligent choices with your 1031 because there's very strict timelines if you miss a timeline if you take possession of the money yourself like there's so many ways to blow a 1031 exchange and then you're paying capital gains taxes long-term capital gains on the ones you've held for more than two years a shorter term capital or more than a year. Is it more than a year? It's more than a year. Um, shorter term capital, short term capital gains on the ones that you have held for less than a year. And um, just if you can avoid those taxes and just kick that can down the road, do that instead. So 
yeah, lots of great people. And, and I'd advise doing this quickly. This is overwhelming. You're going to have a long week, <laughs> uh, maybe two, uh, of, of this, figuring this out. Analyze those properties. Mindy's absolutely right, and I completely forgot about that. There are tax consequences of that. The tax and 1031 stuff should not wag, the tax tail does not wag the business dog. Plus uh, buyback depreciation I have to consider as well. That's right. So that, the 1031 exchange will help you avoid that. Oh, good. Okay. I see. Or, or at least defer it. So, But that should not affect your decision whether to sell or not. The decision whether to sell or not comes from your analysis. If it's cash flow negative and it's going to take significant money out of your life every month for the next 10 years, I would recommend selling that property. Um, regardless of whether you're able to complete a 1031 exchange, but talk to the accountant to see if the 1031 exchange can be a beneficial way to defer those taxes. Okay. Yes. And he's amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you, Pam. Thank you so much for your uh, world of advice here. <laughs> yeah. Ho hopefully this was helpful. I, I know it was overwhelming. There's a lot going on here. We were trying to be as, as valuable as possible with that. And I know there's big changes there. Um, we'd be interested to see. Yeah, no, it's super helpful. And I, I, you know, the bigger pockets community is buy more, buy more, buy more. And well, now what? We buy it. We bought a bunch. <laughs> now what do we do? <laughs> and it's exactly that. Analyze. You want, you want to buy more when your financial position is strong. You've got a really good found, uh, foundation with that. Plenty of cash. Uh, you can hold on to the asset for the long term and it, it produces. At, yeah, there's an argument about whether it should cash flow or appreciation is more important. I invest in Denver because I believe that appreciation is more important over the long term. But none of my properties negatively cash flow. They just produce less cash flow than I would get in a market like Detroit, perhaps, or, or the Midwest in a general sense. Okay, Pam, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Okay, Scott, that was Pam. I thought you gave her some really excellent advice on just going through and making sure that the properties are actually cash flowing. I think people see the rent and the uh, mortgage payment and think that what's left over is their cash flow. And really diving deep into the numbers is so important to make sure that you've got a really great rental property. Yeah. I, I can't stress enough that Pam won here, right? The, the market has carried up the value of those properties. Hundreds of thousands of dollars in wealth has been created. Equity has been created um, due to their, their activities. But the fundamentals are not, in my opinion, strong enough in that business where I would want to hold on to it. On a next um, for the next five to 10 years. I think that I would want to hold on to a business where I believe in the value of that property going up over time and where I believe that it will put money into my pocket on average every month for the next several years with a strong capital capitalized position with a cash reserve that can hold the buffers for when I inevitably will have that. You know, that roof is supposed to last me 15 more years. It may only last me eight. I need to have that cash ready ahead of time um, to be prepared for that event. Right, it may it may go out tomorrow. I may have a leak tomorrow and have to and have to fix it. So, I think that's really really important when we go through this. To recap the overall situation, Pam and her husband are making twelve thousand bucks a month and they're spending ninety ninety five hundred. So that may there may be puts and takes before and after tax. So on average, they're probably only accumulating one two thousand dollars per month, which would be fine, except for their rental business is probably taking that out of their position because of the negative cash flow. We said just from the debt, we're spending $6,200 a month in, uh, in debt service, um, principal interest taxes, insurance, and then interest payments on the, uh, the private loan. And that doesn't even account for the 
vacancy, capex, maintenance, um, utilities when their rent the properties aren't rented, those types of expenses that are definitely hitting them uh, and sucking cash out of their lives. So the way we solve that is we do a unit analysis by each property and say, what's this property performing like today? What's it going to perform like over the next couple of years? And that will tell me to buy, hold, or refinance each one of those properties. And I believe just at the highest level that they're going to have work to do. And then lastly, I think it's important to have that framework in mind about what I want to do and what a strong financial position looks like, and then move quickly to get to it. Not because you know we're, we're terrified of the market or anything like that, but because that market volatility they're, they're all dependent on, I guess, because of the market, right? Because, because they're dependent on the market uh, to produce uh, wealth gains or decreases, that's a, that's a position that's very volatile compared to the investor is going to hold for 20 years a cash-flowing asset. So I think it should move very quickly. I think there's a lot of homework to be done there, and uh, I'm excited to see how it turns out for them. So again, all in the context of a big win. Can't, don't want to overshadow that. Yes, I think we didn't do enough to celebrate the fact that she has done really well so far, but now is the time to reevaluate what she's got. Um, I will say that I think my advice might have been a little bit different if she was investing in a different market, but Michigan is not known to be a rapidly appreciating market. And her the advice would be different if she had already refinanced those properties at low interest rates. So if she had gotten if she if these if these were on thirty year fixed rate mortgages at three and a half percent because she refinanced or bought them in 2016, 2015 and were cash flowing, no way we'd be selling right now, right? Like that, I'm not selling property. That's how that's how my portfolio looks with that. I'm not selling that. But because she has to refinance the properties at probably six and a half, seven percent interest rates at this point in time to pay off her 10% private loan. That's where the sell decision, I think, becomes that much more um, of, a, of a factor. Okay, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 322 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Minnie Jensen saying stay out of trouble. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.